Hi, I'm Matt Dillahunty, and you're listening to There Is No Godcast with Noah Bush. Godcast, the official podcast of Northern Indiana Atheists. And now, here's your host, Noah Bush. What's up, all you non-believers, and welcome back to There Is No Godcast, the official podcast of Northern Indiana Atheists. Um, yeah, let's see. What's new? I don't know. Nothing. We're, we got a good show for you today, though. I've got a good friend of mine. Um, well, I, I, we're friends. I, I, I suppose <laughs> it would probably be more fair to say we have a really good mutual friend yeah. in, uh, in Doug Ferguson. Uh, Joe Bauman, thanks for joining the show. Welcome. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, How's it going, I'm excited. Man? Good, good. Um, yeah, I'm pretty excited. I'm like a avid uh, podcast listener, so um, to have the opportunity to be on a podcast myself is like a dream come true. So that's I'm what very that's excited. what Ting is all about, man. Making <laughs> yeah. dreams come true. So this is your first time ever being on a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, Holy crap! You're a podcast. Yeah, new virgin. experience. Yes, definitely. I'm your first. Um, you are. Yeah, and uh, also I have to show up, Doug Ferguson. So. Um, you gotta, you, know. you gotta outdo him. <laughs> yeah, I, I listened to the episodes that he was on. And, uh, well, he's already three deep, so you've got. I know, I, I gotta Doug catch sets up. The bar pretty high. He does. He's he's tough to live up to sometimes. Right on. So let me set the table a little bit. Let me give the listeners a little bit of background. Um, the aforementioned Douglas Ferguson, good mutual friend of ours. We mm-hmm. we know one another. Like I, I was aware of who you were. I'm sure you knew at least passingly who I was. We yeah. all grew, grew up in the same community. Um, how old are you? Uh, 30, about to turn 31. Okay. So you, you were in the same grade as Doug then yes. presumably. So yep. yeah. So like I was a little, little ahead of you. Um, yeah. and you've got an older brother, right? Yeah. I think you were, you were pretty close to my brother. He was three years ahead of me. So he That's was a, Sam, right? Yeah. Yeah. Was, and I think I confused you two all the time. Um, yeah. I'm used to whatever. it. It happens all the you time. You guys look alike. Yeah, you like <laughs> yeah. look alike. And like the older we get, the like the, the closer in age we all look. So it's like yeah. three years is nothing now these yeah. days. Um, but so for our listeners, just benefit, I guess. Um, Joe is in my fantasy football league. So I guess that's like mm-hmm. the primary way that we really know each other these yeah, days. Yeah, definitely. Because um, my league is like hardcore. Like it goes back to high school. It's like it's like 15 or 16 years old at this yeah, point. It's a serious and league. It, it's pretty ser- There's like a nucleus of, I'd say, like, I don't know, like maybe six to eight of us who have always been there kind of since the beginning. But people will come and go. Um, you know, so over the years, as as attrition has kind of turned over some of the members of the league, I would give older members of the league the chance to invite someone in, you know, because it, it's my league ostensibly. Mm-hmm. So I, I would typically, if I knew someone, I'd, I'd take kind of carte blanche to invite people in. But, um, you know, like Ken, I'd say, hey, you know, we have a spot. Ken, do you have anyone in mind? Or the next yeah. year, I'd say, hey, Jay, do you have someone in mind? And so we had a spot. 
And I asked Doug, I said, hey, man, you, I don't think you've ever invited someone in the league. Do you have anyone in mind? And he said, yeah, I'd love to ask my friend Joe. Oh, and yeah. I was like, oh, I was like, wait, which one? Is that Sam or Joe? Like, I, yeah. I knew one of those. I knew one of those a-holes in high school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you were the, you're the other one. <laughs> I'm the younger a-hole, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so that, and I swear to God, I don't, I'm going to try and keep the over-under at one and a half, how many times I call you Sam during this podcast. Oh, no, yeah, I get I'll it. Just, no, I'll trust just edit me. it out. Like if at yeah. any point. <laughs> no, that's so, okay. Um, I, will, I will never get annoyed by that. That happens all the time. He's a good so. dude. I guess there are worse oh, things to be called, yeah, right? Yeah, he's the best. So, um, okay, so let's, without further ado, let me just kind of um, set you up for this because there's a very specific reason why you're here, right? This mm-hmm. isn't just like a random appearance on the show. Uh, avid podcast listener though you are. So you reached out to me uh, a couple weeks ago and said, hey man, like I've been listening to the show and yada yada. And uh, you said, I'd like to come on because there's some things I'd like to discuss given your your experiences, your background. Um, as I like to do with most of my guests, I'll just give you the opportunity to give your uh, your atheist story time in terms of how you came to atheism. Um, and then take, take as much time as you need and we'll go over all that. Okay. And then there was a very specific topic that you kind of wanted to address um, that has kind of a special relevance to you. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, uh, Joe Bauman, not <laughs> Sam Bauman. There you go. Tell us, tell us your story. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, obviously we grew up in the same, uh, town. So anybody who's listened to the, to Doug Ferguson's first episode, he kind of gave a, a pretty good overview of, of our hometown, Tecumseh. Um, you know, T-town? very much, yeah, T town. Oh yeah. Very much like the small Midwestern, um, not very diverse, um, very Christian town. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to, there's a lot of value in, in that type of lifestyle and, and growing up in a place like that. Like, especially the older I get now that I have a daughter of my own, I definitely, like, I, I know, I remember at the time I hated living in a town like that. Um, but now that I'm older and I have a kid of my own, I'm like, you know, that's actually a pretty good way to, to live to grow up um dude i have the ex- i mean i've got kids obviously of my own as well and like mm-hmm. i have the exact same feeling that like when yeah. i was there it was like man i can't wait to get out of here but now <laughs> yeah, that i'm like exactly. out in the world i'm like you know tecumseh was actually pretty it's not that nice bad. yeah yeah you know it's it's got its flaws it's um but i think um they're relatively small and i think good parenting um can kind of overcome those um and so that's something I'm very grateful for with my parents um, is that they they really raised me to be open-minded. And even though growing up in Tecumseh, I didn't get a chance to to interact with uh, pe- a lot of people from different backgrounds, I think my parents did, did a very good job of um, instilling like an open-minded attitude and, um, and that type of way of thinking in me. So... Even well, though that's I didn't, wonderful. Uh, yeah, even though I didn't get to experience it, I think um, I got some of those benefits. Um, and so shout, I shout out to Mr. and Mrs. Bauman. Oh yeah, they're great parents. They're great. Um, so yeah, I grew up in a, a Christian uh, household, I guess you could say. Um, it's kind of an interesting balance my house though. So I grew up Christian, and my mom is definitely very. Um, like she's definitely Christian and it's important to her. Um, she's gone to church a lot in her life and been involved in the church, but she's not like 
on the evangelical end, I guess you could say she's very sure. liberal and um, didn't never never like really pushed it on me. You know, like I, I grew up going to church. Would you, would you think maybe like that would be a good word for her? Like a, yes, kind of like your exactly. modern day progressive Christians, yep, more liberal, definitely leaning. sure. Yeah, um, and so. You know, she would she would make us go to church on Sundays when we didn't want to go, but it was never, right. it was never like, <laughs> yeah. And but it, it wasn't like a you know you have to go to church because if you don't, uh, your God's going to smite you or anything like that. It was more just this is what we do, um, right? And you have to come. So I never felt pressured that like I had to be a Christian, and I think a big part of why that was the case was because my dad is actually um, an atheist himself, and really, has he always yeah. been? Yeah, always been as long as I can remember. So, uh, and I think they did a really good job of kind of striking a balance. And so, at the same token, he he never like pushed his atheism onto me either. Um, it was just kind of known in our house that. Uh, dad has different views. Uh, he doesn't go to church unless it's like Easter or Christmas. Um, right, just to be a good sport kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and that's just how it is, you know? And, um, but it was never, it was never an issue between them. And I think that's one of the big reasons why later on in my life, when I started to realize that, I was atheist. Um, it was easier for me to accept that and kind of run with it because I had had an example in my life already of an atheist who is also a very good person and um, isn't, you know, the the evil, scary atheist that I think a lot of people view them as. Right. You know, I think. A lot of people who grow up in those small towns in like a very Christian household, um, they probably pretty much spend their entire childhood only around other Christians um, and don't don't get to see that atheists can just be normal, good people, too. You know, so it's kind of like a scarier thing for them. Whereas for me, knowing that my dad was a nonbeliever was very um helpful later when I started to realize that I had the same views. Sure. Um, And again, like I said, he never pushed it on me. It was just, it was just, that's, we knew that's how he felt. Uh, He was open about it. And he's also very liberal in his political views. So I think he, he kind of, he didn't want, I don't think he wanted to push us in a direction, but he, he raised us to have that open-minded attitude. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. I think one of the, the biggest lessons that my dad has taught me that has stuck with me for a long time is I remember him sitting me, sitting me down one day and telling me that a lot of people um, in the world like to look at the world with a very black and white view. And... Um, but we live in a world of gray and right. you have to be able to see everything as uh, as varying degrees rather than just black and white. Um, and that has really stuck with me. And I think it's it's helped me 
be open to uh, new ideas and and people from all backgrounds and stuff. So um, I'm definitely grateful for that. Um, but it is interesting. I did so. I, I actually went to a private Christian school through third grade, um, and after that, we moved when I was going into fourth grade, and I went to public school in Tecumseh. But even then, um, I went to church a lot, and I think you know, even though through that all that time, I called myself a Christian and I considered myself a Christian. I you know, looking back, there was always like a small part of me deep down that, that never could fully embrace it. You know, I think there was always like a small part of me that felt like this might not be right. Um, and I think the older I got, the more I was, I was able to, to realize that and understand that and, and accept that that was okay. Sure. So, um, I thought that would be kind of an interesting um, comparison to Doug's story where, you know, he grew up in the exact same town. Actually, um, he and I went to the same church when we were younger, um, but he had such a different story than I do, uh, but we both ended up kind of in the same place. So I thought that might be kind of interesting um, to show like the different paths that you can take to end up uh, as an atheist, I guess. Sure. And how old were you when you started to realize that maybe you didn't quite buy into the, the Christian mythos? Um, I think I, I probably started to kind of to realize how much I doubted it and kind of disagreed with it probably when I was 19 or 20. Um, and then it's probably been like the last seven or eight years where I've really embraced it. Um, sure. And I think it also kind of co- coincides with a strengthening of my political views at the same time, um, where I started to kind of understand myself and my views more as very much on like the liberal side. And I think that kind of went hand in hand also with realizing that my views were, were atheists. Um, for, for, I kind of went in steps a little bit. Like I think I, I called myself like an agnostic for a little while and, um, other things like that. But it's, it's been like the last probably six or seven years that I've really embraced being an atheist and I'm like open and, and willing to, to tell people that. Sure. And as I, I've pointed out, I think at least once or twice on this show and conversationally, I, I tend to be super um, proactive about letting people know, like, I'm not one of those people who gets really hung up on whether somebody refers to themselves as an atheist or an agnostic, you know, like, mm-hmm. cause they're kind of really the, the complete picture is having to be both uh, an agnostic. Yes, atheist. exactly. Because it's like, you know, you can't prove the non-existence of God yeah, um, yeah. any more than I believe you can't prove the existence of god exactly so so i've always told people like yeah i'm technically an agnostic and an atheist like which Uh which which one tastes better going down like then you go ahead and tell yourself that's which one yeah exactly Um, i don't believe in god but i'm not certain like you can't yeah i I haven't checked every nook and cranny of the universe like i haven't explored my basement very thoroughly maybe god's hiding down there he might be you know i I don't know but he could be in mine i have a very creepy basement i don't i no, i 
I don't like to go in it. Uh, there's some dark corners, and you never know. He might be hiding out back there. That's where he was all along. <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> so, no. yeah. So you so you kind of are – you're more at, at peace with kind of just saying, like, yeah, I'm an atheist because, like, everyone understands what that means immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, it just kind of simplifies things. Yeah, I think so. I think um, it's kind of interesting – in some ways, it's almost easier to, to say that you're an atheist than an agnostic. I think people, like, I think people have, like, a kind of a different view of agnostics where they, if you tell people you're agnostic, they kind of just, like, roll their eyes, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. kind of think, like, oh, you just, you know, you just don't have an opinion and you don't want to think about it. Um, yeah, I think there are definitely people who's, who see agnosticism that way, but I definitely yeah. think there are others who see it as maybe a little easier to swallow just because it's kind of like i think that there's a little bit of a, a stigma with atheism that kind of uh tends to be associated with like militant you know yep. views yeah um so it's kind of like i think to some people i'll say agnostic because i can just tell that it's like diet cola where it's like mm-hmm. you know yeah uh, uh you know half the calories same non-believing taste so it's yeah, kind of like exactly you know yeah no that makes sense yeah and i think um uh, for a while, I can I, to expound on that, that point, uh, I think that's why I kind of, I called myself an agnostic for a while because I really do think that lines up better with my view where it's the same thing. Like, I can't, I can't prove that there is no God. I don't know for sure. Um, right. And, and so if, if I go around saying that I know for sure that there's no God, um, to me, that's just as, as um bad as the the christians that annoy me who who say that they know for sure that there is you know it's it's kind of it's it's just the opposite side yeah exactly i i don't know i don't think there is um i haven't seen evidence that there is but if you showed me the evidence i would believe it obviously so um yeah i would definitely say agnostic atheist is is an apt description. Um, yeah, show me the evidence, not in a two thousand year old, you know, desert book. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. The Bronze Age or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So uh. So yeah, I was Christian kind of all through um, middle school and in high school for the most part. Um, and I I went to church a lot through middle school. Um, I actually went to youth group a lot. Um, and, you know, I look back at those times now and I, I, I appreciate them. I think they were really valuable. Like I was kind of getting the, the good, the good side of religion, the community aspect and stuff like that. And, um, I truly well, did, sure. you know, I, yeah. And I, I really loved going to youth group and youth group was really good for me. Um, yeah, I mean, that's where your friends were, right? I mean, like, yeah, I totally, exactly. and that's like where your social, like you said, Doug was there, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure a lot of the times and, uh, others. So like, I totally get that. The, the, um, social aspect of church can be very appealing. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of value in that. So, um, I was, I was very involved in that and, and, you know, one of my, my fondest memories, um, uh, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, our youth group took a two week trip, uh, out to the West coast and back. We like took this big bus and, uh, it was really fun. And my brother, uh, went along too. And that was the summer before he left for college. And, uh, Doug was, 
was along for the ride as well. Um, it's actually interesting. Back then, Doug and I weren't really friends, um, so we didn't we weren't really friends through high school. Um, we became really good friends after high school. Sure. Um, and then, like the last ten years, we've we've been really close. But um, so it's kind of interesting to look back at those times and and uh, know that like Doug was there, but we were <laughs> like I I think we barely interacted at, at youth group and stuff. So it's kind of funny sure. how we experience the same thing, but in completely different ways. Yeah, absolutely, and it, it certainly, I'm sure, set the foundation for what you know the relationship to strengthen later on. And mm-hmm. you know, it's it's really easy to understand. I mean, you you bonding with your brother, taking this trip, going out, you know, like hanging out on weekends and doing this, all this stuff. It's like it's really easy to understand. And I don't mean to go off on this tangent, but you kind of just put this thought into my head. Like, I totally get why, as a teenager, you're not really gonna think too hard and like expend too much mental energy. Exactly. On, like, yeah. well, let me see. Do I really believe snakes can mm-hmm. talk? Do I really yeah. believe that a man can part the red? Like, you don't really think about that stuff too much. It's like, man, I'm just kind of geeked to go on this trip and like hang out with my friends. Like, you know. Yeah. I no, get it. Definitely. Yeah. It's you can you can definitely see how that happens, and obviously, yeah, at that age, um you're not really going to question too much, especially if it's what your parents believe. Right. Um, so I, I definitely get what you're saying with that. And so that's why I, like, I don't, I don't look at those times in a negative way at all. Um, but you know, uh, knowing that I was going to do this interview, I was trying to think of some of like the biggest moments in my life where, where I started to really start to understand how much I was doubting um, religion and, and Christianity. Um, and I remember one of them, so I was, I, it was probably like my sophomore year maybe. Um, there was another youth group that wasn't affiliated with a specific church. I think it was just kind of put on by fellow students. And I would go to that one every now and then. Um, and that one I definitely only went to because there were like cool kids there and oh, that was, that was uh, like your girls that I wanted that was to like talk to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like your mistress. You yeah, group? exactly. Like that one was like, I'll just go to this one for fun. Yeah, yeah. like you'd be telling your main youth group, "No, baby, I still love you. Don't, don't no, worry. You're still my main youth group. That that's not going to change." Yeah, <laughs> but um, I specifically remember going to that one once and um they showed some scenes from the passion of the christ the uh that mel gibson movie right and it was uh, the scene where he where jesus was being crucified and oh, don't there was sp- a, God, don't oh spoil man the spoiler end. alert God, i'm spoiler sorry alert. Jesus. <laughs> oh man i ruined it yeah, Jesus. that was good uh, 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 yeah. oh that's funny so he's getting so he's getting crucified <laughs> yeah oh, yep <laughs> oh man you're on fire what oh yeah zing <laughs> um but yeah so that that scene was going on and i remember there was this um one girl i can't remember who she is and even if I did, I wouldn't say her name, obviously. Um, but I remember, like, when that scene was going on, she was, like, bawling her eyes out and making this, like, kind of a scene about it, you know? And it was very much, like, in an attention-seeking way. Um, 
but she was trying to make it seem like she was really moved. Right. Um, and like, I kind of, I knew her and I knew that she wasn't like super into Christianity and the way she acted didn't necessarily line up with, uh, like the Christian principles. So then to see her like putting on this show about how much she cared, um, and like how moved she was, I, I just remember thinking like, this is a little over the top, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like this is a little ridiculous and a little hypocritical. Um, and I, I was probably being a little bit harsh on her looking back, but, uh, that was one of those things that kind of stuck out in my mind. I remember of just kind of one of the first times where I started to kind of question what, what was in front of me, sure. you know? And there are a lot of, there are a lot of examples of these types of acts that people, it's like, it just seems like it's more like an exercise in vanity, you know, like yeah, when people profess exactly. their faith in such a dramatic way where you can tell it's, it's a lot more about the attention yes. um, that, than it is the the profession itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't mean to, to, to bash her or bash, uh, Christianity. You know, I know that's one of the things you say a lot on this podcast is that this isn't a podcast about, um, bashing Christianity, but right. And it's certainly not to say that like all professions of faith, even dramatic ones yeah. are with, with that intention. But I, I can certainly relate that there are plenty of times where I'll look at someone or I'll kind of observe yeah. and be like, Oh, yeah. come on. Like, tone it down like you know like this is clearly yeah exactly you know yeah. for and the the hypocrisy yeah. too is is one of those things i think especially now um is one of the things that drives me um up a wall the most um, really really grinds your gears it really grinds my gears yeah <laughs> um so that was you know that was kind of one of the first um big examples of, of that um, and, you know, the, the more I got into high school, the, the less I went to church. I think my mom kind of stopped making me go. Um, and she wasn't really going as much. Um, there was, there was something kind of going on with the church that we went to where the pastor was, had kind of be like taken a real turn, um, towards like the evangelical side and was doing a lot of political, um, sermons and stuff like that that my mom disagreed with so she like basically stopped going and so i i didn't i kind of stopped going because i never really wanted to go that much in the first place um and so another thing that kind of sticks out with me uh you know like i said before i kind of look at my religious journey as coinciding with my political one. So this this example of, of a moment in my life is more on the political side, but I think it helped me get to where I am now. Um, it was like right at the end of my junior year, I had qualified to join um, this, I think it was a t- one week or two week, kind of like a summer camp almost at Albion College, but what it was was it was like a bunch of students from around the state of Michigan all went there and Wait, then Are you talking about Boys State? It was it was like Boys State but a smaller version. Oh, okay. I was going to say so, I totally went to Boys State. Okay. I did end up going to Boys State actually after that. Dude, represent um, me. That's, that's yeah, awesome. The yeah, things you learned about people. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, it was kind of like Boys State. It was boys and girls. It was called Operation Bentley. 
Um, it was at Albion, so it was kind of like a mini version of of Boys State. Sure, like a um, pseudo governmental type of yeah. camp. Yeah, like the first half of it was learning about local politics and, um, you know, doing like a model local po- political um, exercise, and then the second half of it was statewide. So we ended up we had to split into political. You know, our political parties, Democrat, Republican, Independent. Um, and so at this point, I, you know, I was interested in politics because my dad was very, is very political. And like, I grew up listening to, to NPR, um, cause my dad always listens to NPR. Oh, and good man. yeah, it's like one of my, you know, one of those like things that stick out that you can remember as a kid. Um, is, you know, riding in the backseat of my parents' car while my dad listens to NPR. That's, like, one of those right. like, fond memories of my childhood. It was so, WJR for me. Oh, okay. Pa- Paul Harvey and WJR. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, you know, I was I was probably a little bit more politically aware than, than most kids that age, but I still wasn't super into it, and I didn't know a, a ton. Um, but I did, you know, I joined the the democrat side and um so they they held a uh, an election for the governor and each party had to nominate uh, a candidate to be governor and a candidate to be lieutenant governor and i don't know i don't even really know how i ended up getting chosen as the one to run as lieutenant governor but i did i guess i was i was probably more outgoing back then and definitely a lot more charming um, <laughs> don't sell so, yourself uh, <laughs> short, short now trust me <laughs> I, i'm no. all a flutter you are just charming <laughs> af all right so. well okay. you know i'm getting back in the game um but so i was i was chosen as the lieutenant governor but for for whatever reason i think the 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 girl that we chose to run as governor had to actually leave so i had to step in and we had like a debate and I had to do the debate, and I was—I felt like I was like way in over my head the whole time. Um, but I ended up winning the election, and, and I was elected as the governor. Yeah, huge, huge accomplishment. I know. I'm sure everybody listening is just very impressed right now. Um, but it was—it was pretty cool. But the thing that I remember, and it sticks with me to this day, is after the elections and stuff happened, they. They broke us up into smaller groups, and I think, I can't remember exactly what the purpose was, but we were broken up into smaller groups. I think it was kind of like um, uh, like fake committees. So, you know, one group was talking about the economy and, and writing fake bill, you know, model sure, bills yeah. for the economy, and they had all these different ones. And I was, I would just go around and, like, kind of sit in and listen. And I remember... I can't remember what group it was, but I remember going in and sitting down and listening to this one group and, um, there was a, they were, I think there were, somebody had proposed a bill to, um, offer protections for, uh, gay people so they couldn't be fired from their jobs for being gay. Um, and back they then were, that wasn't actually a thing yeah, yet. That wasn't a thing. It was completely, completely legal. Which is absurd and, to think that even just like in our and we're young people that like yeah, in our lifetime that wasn't that, that long not ago a granted thing yeah yeah um, 
And I remember this one girl who was on the Republican side was arguing against it, and she said that she thought it was okay because if she worked at a place, she wouldn't want to work with people like that. I wouldn't want to work with a gay. Yeah. And I remember, like, that was one of the first times that, like, I'm sure I'd heard people say stuff like that before, you know, but that was, like, the first time that I, it really hit me that, um, that there were people out there that had those types of views and right. that, um, so that people out there could have these views that were, like, so, so out of bounds with, with what I, with what I thought and how I viewed everything. So that was kind of one of those, like, I don't know, wake up call moments. I'm not sure if that's sure. Like a, like a turning point. Definitely like a a very influential moment. Yeah. I really hope that girl, whoever she was, I hope she's come out of the closet since then. Right. Yeah. I I hope so. I have no idea. I, I, yeah, I just, I can't imagine having that much hate, um, in your heart and hopefully she's come around um, but and I mean, like I'm, I'm somewhat joking, obviously, but like it seems yeah. like it's the ones who are the most like passionately like outspoken are the ones who have like the most repression. And it's like, well, you know, you're they're probably gay, like, and they're probably yeah. like, really at yeah. conflict with themselves for yeah, you know, feeling like I shouldn't feel this way. I have to really like overcompensate. I, yep, I have to overcompensate and go extreme in the other direction so right. people don't. Yeah, um, you could you could very well be right, um, and that's true. Um, so that was, that was one of the big moments for me. Um, and then I guess to, to kind of continue my story, this is kind of where things maybe started to derail a little bit for me. So that was kind of like, you had mentioned there was kind of something specific that you wanted to ultimately address. mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was the end of my junior year. And the summer between my junior and senior year, um, looking back, is probably where things started to go downhill a little bit for me. So, um, so like I, I said, I had I had also participated in Boys State, which was I think maybe a month after the Operation Bentley thing. So it was in the summer, um, and I actually I was only at Boys State for like two days and I ended up calling my parents and begging them to come pick me up and take me home because, Hmm. um, I was like really struggling mentally and I, I didn't understand it. Um, and looking back, I'm pretty sure that was the first time I had ever had a panic attack. Um, and I'm not sure what brought it on about that. Um, but so a little back background, my, f- um, depression is very prevalent in my family, sure. um, especially the men. So my dad has very severe depression. He's been on medication for a really long time. Um, both my uncles, so both of my dad's brothers, um, have pretty bad depression that they take medication for. My grandpa has pretty severe, um, depression. So... Basically, everybody, all the men on my dad's side, um, have, have this, this, um, mental health issue. And then also my mom has, um, some, has had some mental health issues in the past too. So, um, so it was something that I was aware of and 
my parents had talked to me a little bit about when that happened, but I still was not fully understanding it. And, um, so I'm pretty sure that was like my first, um, real panic attack. Sure. Um, because my, the way depression manifests itself in me is a little bit different than, um, the rest of my family. I have more anxiety and, um, have panic attacks and I think I'm pretty much the only one in my family, um, that, that has it manifest in that way. So, um, that was kind of a, like a really confusing and, um, scary moment for me. Um, and so things just kind of continued to, to go downhill that summer. Um, so up until that point, high school had been really good for me. Um, you know, I had a really good group of friends and I thought I was happy for the most part. You know, I played a lot of sports and, um, just, you know, did decent in school and I, um, everything seemed to be going really well for me. Um, and so junior year, my friends and I really started to dabble in drugs a lot more. Um, <laughs> I was trying to think of like a, a way to put it that, that didn't sound so harsh, but I couldn't really think of, of a way. Oh no, man, go, go nuts. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, I mean, really, you know, we were, we were just kind of experimenting and, um, we, we did that a decent amount for fun. Um, but we, you know, looking back, we were just kids. We had no idea how dangerous what we were doing was, you know? Right. And, and, you know, we went through the D.A.R.E. program and all that. And, um, I don't know if it is really on topic for, for this, but I, I have some thoughts on how the D.A.R.E. program is run in um, America that I think is really flawed. Um, if if you'd like to talk about that a little bit. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Have at it. Okay, well, so the biggest problem, um, in my opinion, with how we do drug education, for the most part, um, in America... Uh, speaking as somebody who has struggled with this and is in recovery is I think we, we need to be more honest with, with kids about it. Um, I think looking back, I think one of the things that kind of happened with me is the way, the way I was taught about drugs was that every drug, no matter what is as dangerous as all the others and like marijuana, especially marijuana is just as bad as heroin and cocaine and and methamphetamine and if you if you start smoking marijuana it'll have just as much of a detrimental effect as doing any other drug which i think we can all agree is not true like that's just kind of inaccurate well, yeah, um, and I, I think, you know, and that's kind of been reflected even just at the state government level, you know, at a lot of different states around the country that are finally starting to, you know, pass legislation to um, make marijuana at, at minimum medically available and a lot of them recreationally available. So I, I definitely think that there is uh, – there's precedent for that, you know, that like mm-hmm. 
the governmental viewpoint on marijuana is certainly supporting your what you're saying. You know that it's not yeah. it's not to be considered nearly as harmful as something like meth or, or heroin or things yeah. like that. Yeah, and you know I don't say that to to downplay um, the ways that marijuana can be dangerous. Obviously, I wouldn't advocate for like kids to be able to smoke marijuana. That's ridiculous. Absolutely, but, and I don't think there's anything invalid with anybody being opposed to marijuana use. But like to yeah, but to exactly. but to say that marijuana is as bad intrinsically as heroin or meth or cocaine is just it, it's just kind of silly, you know. To yeah, it's just not true. It's just not the way it is and so i think what happens when you do that and i know this this is what happened with me um it may be not consciously but definitely subconsciously is that when i inevitably tried marijuana like a lot of kids do i realized wait a minute this isn't that bad you know like i didn't die i'm not addicted to it um, all these t- horrible things didn't happen to me. So if they're not being honest with me about how dangerous marijuana is, then everything else must not be as dangerous. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see. What you know? You're, yeah, that, that actually makes some sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it was like a, a conscious thought that I had, but I think it made me um, less afraid to try other things. And I ended up trying things that were incredibly dangerous and addictive, um, especially for somebody like me who struggles with with depression. Um, and that's that's really you know what happened is I gradually throughout that summer and and definitely by the the start of my senior year um, was pretty heavily addicted to opiates. Um, and I think I was self-medicating in a lot of ways, um, not really dealing with my depression very well. Um, sure. Which is not at all uncommon from what I understand about, you know, people who suffer from depression and people who suffer from substance abuse uh, issues. Yeah. They coincide very frequently. Yeah. They tend to go hand in hand a lot. Um, and you know, things... I, I, I don't want to go into it too much, but um, a couple years before that, I had had a pretty traumatic experience with um, a close family member of mine almost dying. And um, I think that left, left some scars that I wasn't aware of, um, and that contributed, and um, I think just kind of the dynamic in my family had changed a little bit with my brother not being there. Um, we were struggling a lot, um, financially. My mom had, uh, had actually quit her job and had gone like really full tilt into, uh, selling Mary Kay, uh, cosmetics. And she did really well for a while, but as these uh, pyramid schemes inevitably oh thank goodness you work said out <laughs> yeah oh yeah, i mean i heard me, i heard the slight giggle in your tone when you mentioned it and i was like <laughs> yeah. oh oh trust me i i all of those what do they call what do they call them now uh, multi-level, multi-level marketing, marketing. Yeah. yeah i i 
the the level of hatred I have for those companies is like unparalleled. Preach. Um, yeah, and because anyway, it, we won't we won't digress too far. Yeah, that, that I could talk about that for a while, but um, but it you know it, it it got my mom, and she's an incredibly smart um, woman, and um, is one of the most positive influences in my life, but. Um, it, it blew up in her face basically. And we had, we had put a lot of stock into, into that and had really like, um, uh, supported her and, and thought that this was going to be like something that really improved our family and ended up doing the opposite and kind of blowing up. And, and so things in my family weren't super great. And, um, I think what happened is we kind of all, we all kind of pulled away and, um, got stuck in our own bubbles and, you know, we knew things were off, so we didn't want to, want to, want to set the other person off. And so we ended up not talking about a lot of the things that we should have been. Sure. Um, and that kind of helped my depression, uh, manifest worse and it just got worse and worse. And, um, so like as your if, depression's getting worse, your substance abuse is getting worse, and as your substance yeah. abuse is getting worse, you're feeling more depressed, and it's kind of like yep. this vicious cycle. Exactly, yeah. And, um, you know, obviously the opiate epidemic is a huge thing right now, but back then um, it wasn't I, – I, I think I really am kind of one of the, the people who was kind of on the forefront of this opiate epidemic. So we sure. – we, didn't understand nearly as much back then as we do now about it. Um, so, so yeah, basically by the time we, I was halfway through my senior year, I was pretty heavily addicted. Um, and, um, I did eventually, it got bad enough that, um, and at this point it was just pills, but it got, it got bad enough that I did finally, I think it was, like the fall of my senior year, I finally went to my dad and told him what was going on. Um, and my parents, to their credit, tried really hard to find help. Um, but there, there wasn't a lot out there, um, unfortunately. And, and I ended up, they, they got me in touch with a doctor who was going to put me on a medication that Actually, later on would be one of the big things that helped me uh, overcome it. But when I first went to see him, before he could start me on the program, he was so booked up that I had to wait. I think it was like six weeks or six or seven weeks or something like that. Wow. And basically just be on my own. You know, my family, we were just on our own for over a month. And it was during that month that... I moved from pills to heroin and, um, and once it progressed to that, even once I started seeing that doctor, I was, it it wasn't helpful. You know, I was too little too late. Yeah, it was too late. And so, you know, things really got, (laughs) they got bad. I mean, I was, I was an 18 year old kid from Tecumseh and I was, yeah, I was driving to Detroit like three or four times a week and and buying drugs in like really like nasty areas of Detroit. Yeah. Um 
I was kind of waiting mm. for it. Like I, like I've said, I always say like, wait, save it for the show, save it for the show. So just for the listener's benefit, I can tell you that this is the first time I'm hearing like, you know, like he gave me broad strokes about what he kind of wanted to talk about, but like I am hearing this story for the first time, just like all of you are. Um, and I did mention to uh, Joe before we came on the air, some of my, some of my background, some of my professional experience um, where I do have some insight on, uh, on substance abuse. And I won't be more specific than that, but like the whole time he's telling this story mm. and talking about um, pills, I'm like, when is he going to switch over to heroin? Cause like, I know, yeah. cause like I knew that's what was coming. Like that's yep. just kind of always the natural progression. Yeah. Um, and l- yeah. Unless, yeah. Unless somebody intervenes, that's, that's where it goes. Right. It's inevitable. You know, cause it's just, it's inevitable. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's what happened to me, basically. And, um, you know, I was able to, to get away with it for a while, but um, luckily I had, you know, I have parents that are, are very involved and, you know, I could, on, I could only keep the lies going for so long. Right, because um, they're attentive you know, and intelligent. Yeah, I was people. a high school kid. Yeah, you know, I still had to go to school every day and stuff like that. And not all drug users have that, like you know, attentive, and yeah. caring, and loving parents. It's a huge yeah. benefit. I think that's really, as somebody who is in recovery now, I think that's one of the biggest factors in whether or not somebody can overcome it. Right. You have to have a support system. So I'm so I'm so unbelievably grateful for that. Um, and so I ended up going to an inpatient rehab, like the spring break of my senior year, I spent at an inpatient rehab facility. Um, and so that's at that facility is where I encountered the thing that I had said I wanted to talk about, um, for the first time, which was, um, so this facility wasn't, uh, religious, at all it was a secular but um i think it was i think it was once a week we would attend an na meeting um and that's when i was introduced to the 12 steps and um that's one of the things i wanted to i i had told you that i wanted to talk about um i don't think i don't think very many people realize that the 12 step program is very rooted in religion and right. belief in God. Like you basically have to believe in God to be able to do it. Um, and when I actually, when I sent you that message, um, at the time I couldn't remember exactly what the 12 steps were. And I only thought that there was one that um, mentioned God. And I like actually, the, after the higher I power I, thing, yeah, and after I had sent you that message, I was like, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm remembering it wrong, and um, and maybe I'm being a little biased, and it's it's not as tilted in that way as I think. And, and I and went was, and I looked more. up. <laughs> yeah, I looked up the twelve steps, and I was like, oh wait, no, it's there's actually a yeah, lot more than I, I saw thought. where that one was going too. <laughs> yeah, so like I'm actually I'm looking at them now, and basically of the twelve, there's one, two three, four, five, six, seven of them either mention God or mention having like a spiritual awakening. Implied, yeah, for sure. And we obviously Mm -hmm. we're starting to run a little short on time, so we don't need to go through each one, but just trust us. They're they're there, and if you want to Google it, it'll take you all of 10 seconds to Google what the 12 steps are. Yeah, and that was... 
I think that was one of the things that um, that hindered my 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 ability to, to recover for a while. Is so like I hated going to these meetings, um, and this was even really before I had fully um, come to terms with being an atheist. Sure, um, but I I just I couldn't I couldn't get past. So one of the steps is is saying that you ha- you come to believe that there's a power greater than yourself and that you have no control over your free will in your lives and you have to turn that over to God. And I couldn't get past that because I just, like, I couldn't do it, you know? Like, you know and who, and who I could blame you? Who could blame anyone yeah. in that position who's, got, who's struggling with substance abuse who says, like, look, man, like, I want to get better. Like, I don't believe yeah. in God, but, like... What are you saying? Like, I can't get better if I don't believe in God? Like, that seems kind of, you know... Yeah, exactly. It, it It's just like another blow to somebody who's trying to get help. And I don't mean to attack the 12-step program because it's helped a lot of people. No, and and for those who are religious, it's absolutely... It, it can be a life-saving thing, and that's not, yes. that's not putting too fine a point on it. Yeah, but for, for people like me, it... It's not going to work. Um, and that was one of the biggest things. Even outside of the 12-step program, you come across a lot of religious talk just in that in that arena. Um, you know, a lot of the meetings I would go to, you know, at least half or more of the people would talk about how they finally reached a, a point in time where they just turned everything over to God. Right. And, like... I've tried so hard to understand what that means, and I can't. I can't understand it. See, people are going like, to think this is a criticism, but like when I when I say this, like that that, that I say that's a crutch. Like, and when people say I just turned it over to God, like that's a crutch, and people might yeah. knee jerk and say, "Well, that's really unfair to say." Well, no, because see, the thing is, when you have a broken leg, crutches are a good thing. Like, there are exactly. times. We're both physically and metaphorically like it's okay to have something to lean on. And if you are religious and God is your crutch, then like lean, lean as hard yeah. and as, as often as you need to get better. Cause that's all any of us want really is for yeah. people to be happy and healthy. Yeah. Um, if, if it, yeah, if it works for you, then that's awesome. That crutch doesn't fit everybody. Yeah. And it, it definitely didn't fit me. Um, and I tried, like, I really, I tried to make it fit and I, I it's it's something I I just I couldn't couldn't wrap my mind around because I just I couldn't understand like what does that mean does that mean that I don't make any decisions anymore but like you know every day of your life you have to make a thousand decisions right uh, what what exactly does that mean like, where do you draw the line <laughs> yeah to turn it over to God I think you know maybe the way I think of things is very analytical I guess and. Um, maybe that hindered my ability to do that, but in, in there was part of me that also felt like, um, that's really not going to help my recovery because I have to be the one that, that drives the recovery, you know, it's not going to work if it's not me. And to some degree saying that I turned it over to God, um, I don't know. It almost sounds selfish, but like, I kind of want the credit for for being 
a former heroin addict who's been clean for eight plus years. You know what I, I don't, mean? I don't think that's selfish. No, I don't think that's selfish in the least. I, I, I totally understand that. It's, it's an amazing accomplishment. A lot of people don't make it out of that type of addiction. Um, and it's something that I'm sure, as, as you well understand, having gone through the process, that, you know, you're not... Like, people always like to say, like, oh, I used to be an addict. No, no, no. Like, you know... No, I'm still... And I know yeah. you get that. I'm saying that for, like, I guess for the benefit of our listeners who uh-huh. don't really understand yeah. much about recovery. But, like, this is a struggle that he will have for the rest of his life. And, like, more power yep. to you. You know, like, if people want to attribute their recovery to God, then, like, great, do that. Um, but Joe worked hard and Joe overcame something and is continuing to overcome something every day of his life. Um, and he has every right to say, you know what? I want, I deserve credit for this. Like it was really tough and I worked really hard and I'm continuing to work really hard. Um, and I'm proud of myself, you know, like there's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. In my, in my, in this host's opinion, (laughs) I agree. I'm proud of you, dude. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And you know, that's actually something that, um, I want to give a lot of credit to my um, to my wife on. Um, she's helped me an incredible amount in that sense. Um, she she tells me that all the time that I don't give myself enough credit for for what I've done and the work that I've done. Um, and I think part of that is I, I still deal with a lot of guilt for what I put my family and my friends through. Sure. Um, and so it's hard for me sometimes to think, to think highly of myself in a way. Um, and so she's been so helpful with that. And I think that's been something that's, that's helped an incredible amount in my recovery. Sure. And there's grace um, in that too, right? Cause it's not like that I'm suggesting or you're suggesting that you did it alone. Like to say that I don't attribute God to helping me is not to say that I did it by myself. Like those two things yeah. are not, you know, cause like no, yeah. no person could, could overcome something like that. No, absolutely support, not. You know, and if, yeah. whether it's a wife or, you know, your, your treatment providers, um, you know, a peer recovery group, cause there are secular peer recovery groups and I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. uh, I'll, yeah. I'll name drop in a minute. But uh, yeah, that's wonderful, and and I'm so happy that I mean, d- did you find did you and your wife meet and like was this before, during, after like the the height of your struggles? Um, Do you mind we asking? Met, no, no, not at all. Um, no, I had been clean um, for multiple years uh, when we met, so she's only known me after that, um, and in some ways that's. That's helpful because um, it's easier for her to, to, to help me see like how far I've come and sure. where I'm at now and kind of build me up. Um, but I, I do want to say, like like you were just saying, um, nobody can take sole credit for, for their recovery. Um, and obviously, you know, I did a lot of work myself, but it's not all on me. And I really, truly... Um, I don't think I would be here if it wasn't for my mom, especially, um, and my family as a whole. But my mom, especially, um, truly never, never gave up on me because, you know, even after, after that, um, I went to that inpatient rehab, there were, you know, from the age of 18, probably through 22, I relapsed a few times off and on, um, and there were times where I reached a point where most of my family had just kind of washed their hands and right. and 
were were just letting me go through it, which I don't blame them at all. You know, that's what they had to do. Um, but my mom never never reached that point. She never gave up on me. Um, and I think having that strong of a support system is what helped me finally take the last steps myself. Wow. Um, so I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful to all my, my friends and family for, for helping me. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, I wouldn't be here without, without such an amazing support system. Well, Joe, let me tell you, man, like I, I couldn't be more impressed, um, by you. I, I definitely couldn't be more impressed by your parents. I mean, I was impressed by your parents, like in the first five minutes of your story, you know, like, man, I didn't even <laughs> yeah. know we hadn't even scratched the surface yet. So huge shout yeah. out to your mom and dad. I mean, what wonderful people it sounds like they are. Yeah. And, um, my, yeah, my whole family, um, you know, I, I love my parents to death and, um, my brother, I'm, I'm just, I'm so lucky because my brother is an, like, I really, I look at my brother as like the pinnacle of what a, of what a human being can be. And I, like, I truly mean that. Um, so even, even when he wasn't around, because a lot of this happened while he was at college, um, and I don't blame him for not being super involved because I would probably do the same if I were him, you know, I didn't. He, he had to have his college experience. I sure. wouldn't want to ruin that. Um, but even just having him as an example, um, helped give me strength. And, um, like I can't express how much I, I love and appreciate him, um, and my whole family. So awesome. Well, Joe, let me ask you this. Um, final thoughts, cause we're going to have to wrap up here. Um, Final thoughts. If if you if you were to talk to anyone out there listening to this who, who is who is going through maybe something the, similar to what you were going through, what would be your advice if you had to just boil it down to to first steps? Oh boy, um, you know that's that's that is a tough question to answer, and it's one of those things like I real I wish I had a really good answer for you know. That's fair. I um, put you on the spot pretty big time. Right? No, I no I. I I understand, and I've I've had this conversation before. Um, one of my dad's friends, his son is about the same age as me, and he's been struggling with with the same addiction for a long time now. Um, and a couple years ago, his dad came to me and asked me like what I did um, that helped me, and like it was so hard because I could see in his face like how much he wanted me to tell him like a magic right. solution and I couldn't, but the biggest thing I would say is if you have a support system, lean on them, don't push them away. Sure. Um, and know that everything that they do is coming from a place of love. And even if it might not seem like it, they're trying to help you, but they also have to take care of themselves. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Um, so my parents had to kick me out of the house multiple times. And I could, you know, at the time, obviously I was angry, but I could, you know, I could easily look back and still be angry about that. But I understand they had to do that for themselves. Right. Um, 
and or I, else I would have torn them down. So. I can empathize with the notion that when someone asks you, like, well, tell me what, tell me what to do, tell me what you did, that uh, kind of to, to your point, there is no one-size-fits-all method to recovery. Yeah. Like, it, it kind of has to uh, – what I would say just from with given my background and, and some of my knowledge from an empathetic standpoint um, – uh, is that you know the the biggest thing is that if you want to get better like that that's really the yep. only thing you have to have is the desire yes. to get better yeah there are many different mechanisms secular non secular you know inpatient outpatient family oriented like there are all, mm-hmm. there are so many ways as long as you want to get better the good news is you can like it, it can happen. Yes. Um, and if you are an atheist if you're or just in any way not interested in um, religious approaches to recovery. One thing that I can recommend is an organization called Life Ring, uh, L-I-F-E-R-I-N-G. So it's just like it sounds, Life Ring. Um, it's it's secular recovery, and it's basically like the secular counterpart to AA and NA. Um, and if you just go okay. to LifeRing.org or just Google Life Ring, um, it's a secular recovery organization. I don't know if they're actually certified as a nonprofit, but they are a volunteer organization. I'm looking through their website right now, like as I'm speaking. Um, and this is something that I have pamphlets um, that I've given to people before. Um, they have all kinds of resources. Um, you know, play, you can put in like your zip code, and they can tell you where to go. You know, where you are. Um, there's information on. All kinds of things. Like, I'll just read a real quick blurb. LifeRing is an organization of people who share practical experiences and sobriety support. There are as many ways to live free of drugs and alcohol as there are stories of successful sober people. Um, and they are very um, proactive about pointing out that it's a secular recovery organization. So definitely, if you're if you're struggling, go. I mean, just do something. Reach out to someone mm-hmm. and do yeah. something. But if yep. you need a place to start... Check out LifeRing. They have a lot of different places where they can refer you. Um, certainly better than than I could. Um, yeah. So yeah. That's no. That's great advice. Yeah. And that's I. I would. I would second that thought. I think that's that's the biggest thing. And I know it's 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 kind of hard to hear. Um, you know, I I didn't like hearing that when I was in the midst of it. Um, hearing that you're not going to get better unless you want to. Um, but that truly is, I think, the biggest, the biggest factor. And then from there, it's just finding the right, the right fit for you. Sure, sure. Um, and there may be some trial and error involved in that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's okay. And that's okay. But, but you can't, you can't ever give up hope. Um, and anybody, anybody can do this. Like, uh, trust me, I'm not. I'm not like some special super strong person. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a very normal just a very normal I, mediocre fantasy football just, playing yeah. kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey Joe, um, thanks so much for doing this. I, I got to tell you, yeah, this was you. A, this was incredibly brave of you to do. And I know th- that word is just so kind of over overplayed these, but it really was for you to come out here and put your story out there is a very vulnerable thing. Um, and I, I could not be more grateful for you um, giving the gift of your story to anyone who's listening to this episode because I, I hope that it helps someone. I feel confident mm-hmm. that it, it, it could and, and it will. So thank you on behalf of anyone who's listening to this. Thank you for coming on and, and sharing your story with us. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. And that was kind of my biggest thought um, leading up to this is um, if, if I could reach one person, that would be amazing. I know I know Doug had that happen when, when he did his episode. Um, right, yeah. He had somebody email him, and I remember how excited he was when that happened. 
And so that was like a, a big motivation for me. Um, and I, I also think it's, it's important that people like me are, are open about our stories because it, it puts a face on, on addiction. And, right. um, you know, a lot of people have very negative views of addicts and, I understand that, like truly, I do. Um, you know, when I was an addict, I was I was not the person that I am right now. Sure. Um, and I I did some some really bad things, but that doesn't make me um, a bad person at all. And if I could demonstrate that for for people and maybe reach somebody, um, that that's the biggest gift I think that I can give. So, well, and I, if you think, if you think that I won't pass that along to you, if I get any kind of feedback or anyone reaches out just to let me know uh, that your episode made a difference, you, okay. you better believe I will let you know. Like, absolutely. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, Joe. Well, hey, thanks so much again. Uh, it's about that time, guys. So if you, you guys know the drill. Um, if you enjoy the show, if you appreciate the show, please take a moment to um, rate and review. Uh, definitely check out Northern Indiana Atheist. This episode has been really light on NIA talk, but we've been up to some really good stuff lately. We did an adopt a highway. Um, we tabled at pride in Fort Wayne. So definitely NIA is still doing their thing right through the summer months. Um, so check out NIA, support them, join as a member, contribute. We are, um, a 501 C three charity, so it's all tax deductible. Um, so don't let uncle Sam take your money and spend it how they want. You spend it how you (laughs) want support an organization like NIA. Um, don't forget if you, if you are struggling with addiction or you know, someone who's struggling with addiction, um, point them in the direction of life ring it's it's a great resource um on behalf of myself on behalf of my my friend joe bauman uh whose butt i still plan to kick this fantasy football season uh thanks so much (laughs) guys bring it on uh don't stop not believing (laughs)